Good afternoon. My name is Thomas Johnston. And I'm Jaron Summers. And we're your hosts of Seminary and Table Talk here at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. Uh, Jaron, talk, talk to us a little today about our topic. So we have um, what's kind of an odd topic today, but I think it's extremely important. We are going to be analyzing uh, Martin Luther's sermon on preparing to die. And this is a really interesting work. It's not very well known. What happened was towards the end of Martin Luther's life, he had some friends write to him and ask if he could provide a letter, a sermon in the form of a letter that they could provide their friend who was dying in order to comfort them. And so basically, what is Martin Luther's teaching on how to die well as a Christian? And what this sermon was is basically 20 theses um, for the dying to grasp. It's, so when you're dying, if you understand these 20 theses, you're in good shape. And we thought that this is just an excellent way to dive into Lutheran theology and kind of an interesting way that you might not hear about too much. Yeah, that is true. So, uh, Jaron, walk us through this first point kind of on, on death and dying and kind of how Luther frames it. Well, I think Martin Luther starts off where everyone should start off is get your will and your affairs in order. Make sure you're not leaving things disorganized for your family to have to worry about. Basically, make sure everything that you need to get in order, get it in order before you die. And I, I think that's a very reasonable thing for Martin Luther to start off with. If you remember, Martin Luther is not a systematic theologian. He is first and foremost a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so kind of this pastoral response saying, before we focus on anything else, let's make sure our physical and earthly affairs are in order for our family. And then, so, Jaron, if we have our physical affairs in order, what does that mean um, spiritually? What does that mean for our faith life if we have first and foremost, our physical affairs in order, our wills, so that our descendants and family don't squabble. What does this mean um, spiritually? You know, I think that's a really good question. And I think Martin Luther, I would assume, but um, I think Martin Luther would say that if you get your physical affairs in order, you're also getting your spiritual affairs in order. And that's where he moved immediately after he says, his first point, getting your will and physical affairs in order. His very next point is saying, get your spiritual affairs in order. And that's what he spends the rest of his work focusing on. And Jaron, I want to come back to the second point, because we're talking about getting our spiritual affairs in order. Um, in the work, Luther talks about, uh, we're seeking the forgiveness of all people whom we've undoubtedly have greatly offended. Uh, can you... Talk more about that, kind of what, what does that forgiveness look like? Well, I think that forgiveness is it's really interesting because it's not just forgiveness between you and God, it's forgiveness between you and another person. If you think back to the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to forgive us just as we forgive others. And so it's not good enough just to ask for God's forgiveness. You need to be able to forgive other people too. And so part of getting your spiritual affairs in order is asking other people for their forgiveness and also imparting your forgiveness on them as well. And that's, that's a very good point because we are supposed to forgive those who wronged us. And Luther points out really well, bestowing too few um, within that same clause talking about forgiveness of others by bestowing too few of the kindnesses demanded by the law of Christian brotherly love, um, which I think that that's very helpful because we are called to 
forgive people, but that's also hard in some instances. And I, I think this is something that makes really Luther's writing very unique. And in our society today, we think like, oh, we'll just pray and ask God to forgive us and that's good. And Martin Luther says, no, we need to actually engage in a communal setting and forgive one another. And for our listeners, if you want to look more into this, I highly recommend reading the small catechism and the large catechism. Martin Luther goes into great deal about the Lord's Prayer and how um, forgiveness from God is not the entire picture. Mm -hmm. And then I think that moves on to what is the best, like, what does Martin Luther think is the best way for us to approach death, Thomas? What, what should we focus on first and foremost? Well, Jaron, in, in, in the same work, he talks about um, turning our eyes back to God. Um, and he then, talk, he then quotes uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. Here we find the beginning of the narrow gate and the straight path to life. So it's here in death is where we turn back to God or we turn away. But in Luther's context, he's talking about before you die, turn your, and then he, this is how he frames the rest of his essay. But he talks about um, before we die, we must turn ourselves back to God. Yeah. And so Martin Luther is saying, don't focus on death or dying per se, just focus on God and that faithfulness of God and that grace of God. And I think that you could better than I enumerate what steps he thinks we should begin with in order to turn our eyes to God. So we're in the process of dying. What practices do we do to focus on God? Confession, sincere confession. And he kind of explains that of at least the greatest sins and those by diligent search can be recalled by our memory. So the sins that we have that have been afflicting our conscience, we give in confession. The next step is the Holy Sacrament. And as recall from our previous episodes, the two, the two sacraments of the Lutheran Church are Holy Baptism and Holy Communion and other traditions you hear it called the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, and the Roman Catholic Church is referred to as the Mass. Um, and that's where we encounter Christ is within the body and blood, um, which is attached through the bread and wine, and lastly, unction or the sacrament of last rites. Um, but, Jared, kind of tying back into that, um, in that third point, Luther is talking about with death, we have new life. That we, um, that we pass through the narrow avenue of death into this new life, which we have in Christ. Um, and he um, refers to that, um, he uses maternal imagery of a nursing mother or mother who had just given birth. Um, but it, so then kind of tying back into the, this fourth point, um, Luther, Luther's big thing, and I think it's the big thing of the Reformation and Lutheran theology is faith. Yeah. Um, all things are possible to those who believe. And he then dives into the concept of how the sacraments help us believe. The sacraments are nothing else than signs which help, uh, which help and incite us to faith. And then he then goes on talking about 
um, the how high the sacrament should be esteemed. And Jaron, you feel free to talk about that. What does that mean that we should hold the sacraments, especially communion, in an honor and freely and cheerfully rely on them? What does that What does that mean for us today? Well, I, I think it's important once again, just because other people might not. I just want to remind people there are two sacraments. Mm -hmm. um, baptism and communion mm -hmm. and others would include unction as a sacrament but we we don't we think that that's just um that's not commanded by christ it's just something um, that we do so when we focus on our baptism and communion what these are physical signs as melanchthon philip melanchthon another lutheran reformer says and they're signs that point us towards god and so these signs remind us and honestly do impart God's grace and forgiveness on us. And so when we take the bread and take the wine, we are truly becoming entering in communion with God and we are truly receiving God's forgiveness. And the bread and the wine point us towards God's grace and forgiveness and that that promise God made to us in baptism mm -hmm. uh, to be with us and to protect us and to impart his grace upon us. Mm -hmm. And also, Jaron, that's lovely because our baptism definitely in Luther's, in Luther's view and also within Lutheran theology, baptism helps us think about death. Yeah. From dying, we are risen into Christ. We are heirs with Christ. And going into the, when we are talking about the sacraments as pointing to Christ, because Christ has commanded them, uh, Luther talks about, um, we can do no greater than that, than believe his word and the work of the sacraments. We do nothing to earn God's grace. God's grace and God's forgiveness is already given to us. And also within the Lutheran tradition, we see the sacraments as means of grace, as Christ is imputing his righteousness on to us that we are receiving and we are encountering Christ through ordinary things, the bread, the wine, and the water. And what, um, I, what I think is very important to note real quick is that many critics of Lutheranism in that day and even today um, will say, well, baptism and communion are works and thus you're saved by your works. And the truth is we do not believe we have anything to do with uh, communion or baptism. We believe those are entirely God's works. God works. It's entirely God working through the sacrament. Um, it has nothing to do with what we do with the sacrament. It has everything to do with God working through it. That's perfect. And then kind of speaking to that, Jaron, um, in, in Martin Luther's sixth point in his sermon, he talks about the virtues of, of the sacraments and kind of how do the sacraments then relate to our mortality? And like he frames it as knowing the evils that we must face. Um, the first are three such evils. First is death. Second is the manifold image of sin. And third is the unbearable and unavoidable image of hell and eternal damnation. That, that's pretty scary stuff. <laughs> it it, it is why. scary. It is scary. Yeah. Um, but I think Luther has a, I think what you're about to dive into is Luther has some really good answers about these, 
afflictions of the conscience that the dying might experience. Mm-hmm. So, and and kind of we're death is a death is a hard topic. Yeah. Um, death, and that's and one reason why we decided to do this uh, particular episode was to provide avenues of having that conversation on death and dying, whether that's being with family or friends. Uh, for those in the ministry setting, how do you approach death? Um, yeah. So, Jaron, talk to, talk to a little bit more about that kind of how does Luther frame death? Well, I think what Luther's best way of framing death is walking us through the conscience of the dying. Because if you remember, Martin Luther had a very afflicted conscience. He was very worried about God's judgment. And so Luther writes, hey, if you're dying, you might become fearful of sin. You might focus on hell. You might worry about predestination. Has God chosen you? Has God not so chosen you? And Martin Luther provides a great way of reframing this is don't worry about those. Just focus on God and everything will be okay. Don't dive into the mystery of God and God's decision making. If you are truly looking towards God, you're going to be okay. And you just need to accept God's grace and through that grace, rely on your faith and God's going to take you through it. You don't need to worry about all of these things that Martin Luther would say the devil throws out there to act as a stumbling block. Because what Martin Luther would say is that the devil's throwing these things out you so that you begin to question God. And Martin Luther wants you to say, hey, just look to the cross, look to what Christ did on the cross and realize that God's promises and God's love for you are real. Mm-hmm. And that you can rely and trust in the promises that God made to you in your baptism on the cross through communion, you can believe that God is truly wanting the best for you. And Jaron, when you were talking about uh, the fact we become so that we can become so fixated on death that we in turn avoid God, what did you say by, um, this may be an oversimplification, but would you say that when we become fixated on God, we therefore have, not on God, but on death, fixating on God is good. Yeah. Um, we're called to turn back to God, but when we fixate on death, isn't that a, could that be seen as a form of idolatry though? Because we're focusing our attention on um, something that's beyond the scope of God. I, I truly believe that. I think there are many in this culture who think of death as the ultimate winner, and that's a form of idolatry. Because what the Bible tells us is that Christ defeated death. Christ was crucified, died, and rose on the third day. And so Christ defeated death once and for all. And thus, you know, death, where is thy sting? There is, we don't need to worry about death. And instead of worrying about death, oh, what is death going to look like? How's it going to feel? What's the next life looking like? Instead, Martin Luther says plainly, hey, look at God. And that's, that's truly all you need to worry about. Because if you look to God, everything's going to be okay. God's mm-hmm. going to walk you through this. God made promises to walk through us through this and God loves us and we, we need to trust in that. And so focus on what really matters and God's truly what matters. God is the ground of all being. Mm-hmm. And Luther kind of brings it up when he first talks about death, he brings it up with talking about sin. Um, when he's talking about, uh, we shouldn't be focusing on sin. So Luther's 
if Luther's main thesis um, of this sermon, uh, don't focus on hell, death, and sin, instead focus on what God has done through Christ on the cross. Uh, because Luther being, brings up the seven to eight point, when we are so consumed with sin, death, and hell, we lose sight on God, and that's the work of the devil. Well, I think also, you know, Thomas, Christ took care of all these on the cross. Mm -hmm. Christ took care of sin. Christ took care of death. Christ took care of hell. Um, Christ, you know, uh, is our savior. And so why worry about those when they're not applicable so much to us? Yes, we still live in a state of sin. Yes, we still live in death. But if we rely on God's promises, we're going to get through it. Amen to that. Amen to that. And then I think what's also interesting is kind of leaping from there, talking about Christ defeating hell. Um, that leads us to a topic that Martin Luther does talk about, which many of our listeners probably have no idea what this is, and that's the harrowing of Hades. So maybe you can walk us through that a little. So, yes, uh, the, as Jaron mentioned, the hearing of Hades is something our listeners probably don't know. In fact, uh, that's often a neglected topic because in the American church, at least, the fact that Christ went to hell, however that's framed, whether he went to the, Jew, the Jewish version of hell, which is Sheol, which everyone attained, um, Sheol was kind of indifferent, and or the bosom of Abraham or um, concept of Hades, which was nothingness. But again, the, the concept of the harrowing of Hades is very uncomfortable for some American Christians. It essentially, Christ went to hell and he preached the gospel. Um, and he taught, and he essentially liberated the souls from hell. He conquered death, he conquered sin. And when he was resurrected, all of that sin and death and hell were defeated. So in the Christian tradition, for those, for the Christian traditions that practice, or not practice, but observe the feast of the holy, uh, of the great vigil of Easter, that is the day leading up to Easter. And that's when we say Christ went to hell and Christ conquered death. It's a really big deal in the Eastern Orthodox Church um, on Holy Saturday, the Saturday before Easter Sunday, and they spend the whole day making a big deal about the harrowing of Hades, which is fascinating because there are only two verses of scripture I can think of, one being 1 Peter, mm -hmm. uh, in the whole Bible that refers to this, which um, it's in the Bible, but not much is said about it. And that's, and, and that's actually where more conversations be had is how do we then reconcile with the concept of Jesus going to hell and the fact that it's in scripture and how, how do we approach that? Cause that's honestly, that's a very uncomfortable passage. I'm not going to lie. That is the fact that the savior of the world goes to hell, but defeats it. And I think what Martin Luther would say he brings up the harrowing of Hades, which is mentioned in the Apostles' Creed and in the Confessions, and he says, hey, 
all we need to know about this is it's just Christ completing his work, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating hell. And as a believer, you're okay. That's all Martin Luther really has to say. Martin Luther would say, don't worry about diving into the mysteries of God. Does Christ's descent to hell mean that he actually went to hell or just mentally went to hell? Well, that's not for us to know. Mm -hmm. um, since Christ defeated hell, does that mean anyone goes to hell anymore? That's not for us to know. Um, really, the Lutheran perspective on the afterlife is uh, leave it up to God. We don't need to have it all worked out. We don't need to know anything. Um, and whatever happens, happens because of God's good judgment and God's good will and God's grace and mercy, and most importantly, God's love. And so we just let God be God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and Jaron, you, um, bef before we um, started this podcast, you mentioned a quote that's that could be helpful, that could be helpful in talking about, um, about Christ going to hell and doing this. Uh, would you mind sharing that? The quote, um, You'll have to remind me on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it'll seem contemplatable and dead, slain and overcome in life. For Christ is nothing. Or let me start with the full quote. I quoted part of it. In such pictures, death will not appear terrible and gruesome. No, it'll seem contemplatable and dead, slain and overcome in life. For Christ is nothing other than sheer life, as his saints are likewise. The more profoundly you impress that image upon your heart and gaze upon it, the more the image of death will pale and vanish of itself without struggle or battle. Thus your heart will be at peace and you will be able to die calmly in Christ and with Christ as you read in Revelation, blessed are those who die in the Lord Christ. Yeah, I, I remember totally now. It's a very powerful quote and there's just so much good in this sermon. It's hard to keep it all straight. Um, I focus a lot on his 18th point in the sermon. Um, he says, in the hour of his death, no Christian should doubt that they are not alone. They can be certain, as the sacraments point out, that a great many eyes are upon them. First, the eyes of God and of Christ himself, for the Christian believes his words and clings to his sacraments. Then also the eyes of the dear angels, of the saints, and of all Christians. And so... Um, kind of tying in with you, we're not alone at the time of our death. Yeah, we're surrounded by family and friends, but also we're surrounded by God, Christ, and the ministering angels and our fellow saints who have gone before us. And that's uh, that's actually an interesting topic you talk, you're, you're bringing up, Jaron. Um, definitely that last part, then also the eyes of the dear angels of the saints and of all Christians. One of the interesting things about Christian theology, especially those who recite and profess the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, is the concept of the communion of saints. Uh, that that's actually a very hard for me, a very hard topic to wrap myself around. Oh, Jerry, would you mind talking a little about when we when we're talking about um, the eyes of the dear saints and of all Christians are on those who are dying for those Christians on their deathbed, what does it mean to be joined in with the cloud of witnesses that is the communion of saints? Honestly, this, this is what I find to be one of the most beautiful aspects of our Lutheran theology. 
um, the communion of saints. So all believers past, present, and into the future belong to the body of Christ. We are all one in Christ. And so what happens is, according to our theology, is those who die go to heaven and we they're still present with us in some way, such as when we take communion, we take communion in front of the hosts of heaven. Mm -hmm. So just as they are glorifying God in heaven, we are glorifying God on earth. We are connected in that way. Um, and it's truly remarkable because uh, it's revelation that points out, and this is one aspect of our theology. There's some who might critique it, but um, in revelation, you have uh, the saints who have gone before under the altar, holding up the altar and saying, God, how much longer until you redeem all of creation? And God just says, don't worry about it. I got it under control. But they keep crying out saying, Lord, help those saints on earth um, and redeem, redeem all of creation. And so um, there's an aspect that maybe the saints are praying for us, but they're definitely worshiping God. Um, or at the very least, according to some theological circles, they are asleep in the Lord's presence. Um, but we truly believe that we are surrounded by this great host of witnesses um, who have come before us, who have gone through the struggles of faith, and uh, to whom we can look to as examples and role models of our faith. Because in our theology, every Christian is a saint. You don't have to go through a special process. You're just a saint by believing in God. And that's what the Bible says as well, as well, specifically in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. And Jaron, you know how you're talking about the, the saints maybe praying for us. So when you talked about the, that first part of the 18th point, the 18th thesis about how everybody's watching um, you as you die, and that, that can sound very weird but luther is talking about how it's god christ um the angels the saints and all of christians are with you at your deathbed as and as you were talking i was rereading that last point um especially those last simple the last sentences if god looks upon you all the angels saints and all creatures will fix their eyes upon you and if you remain if you remain in that faith all of them will uphold you with their hands. And when your soul leaves your body, they will be on hand to receive it. And you cannot perish. And, and, and if we had time for another episode to kind of dissect that, um, dissect some of those conditional statements. But for, for this, I find that to be of comfort is that we have people walking with us in this life and in the next walking with us. And I think that's that in a very pastoral manner, that's very applicable. Well, that we have people walking with us as we're dying, yet there are other people on the other side walking with the dying as well. So we're seeing we're seeing like the present and the future kind of working together. I think that's beautifully said, and I, I think it's especially applicable now from a pastoral perspective because living in a pandemic, the most tragic thing about COVID-19 are the individuals in the hospital who sadly pass away without family or friends surrounding them because they don't want their family and friends 
uh, succumbing to COVID. And what this, what Martin Luther is saying here is they're actually not alone. Mm-hmm. When you're in the process of dying, you're never alone. You have God there and Jesus, but also you have the angels and the saints mm-hmm. and that they're going to walk you through it and they're going to take care of you. So this might provide some comfort for the families out there to realize, hey, um, even though our relative or our friend passed away in the hospital by themselves, they they still had God there and they still had all of these angels and all of these saints and Jesus was there. So they truly weren't alone. Um, Jared, I kind of want to go back to a point you made um, talking about our souls being asleep. Um, what, could you speak more to that? Yeah. So it's interesting. They're, they're both are, both of these theological ideas are in the Bible and both are options for the Christian to believe. You could believe both, or you could believe one or the other. What that is, is some believe that at death, your soul goes to be with God, or it goes to hell if anyone goes to hell. And the other side believes that when you die, you just kind of fall asleep, and you wait until the resurrection. Um, It's an interesting point. You can find individuals, specifically Paul, for example, in First Thessalonians, talking about individuals who have fallen asleep um, and are waiting for the resurrection. And also uh, Jesus on the cross, his last word was, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so an interesting way to talk about this, in my opinion, is both can be true. Um, we know that uh, uh, Einstein's theory of relativity says that things can occur in a sequence while also occurring at the same time. And I'm not, I don't even know how the physics works, but smarter people than I know that can happen. And so I like to think, yes, you're asleep, but you're also in heaven with God. And both of those are true in a sequence and at the same time. And it's a truly a mystery. Um, I mean, there's only been one person who's died and come back to life and that's Jesus. And he didn't really tell much about the afterlife. He focused more on how we live this life um, here. And so those are just some theological perspectives that some food for thought. That is true. And I think the, where both sides would agree is the fact that there is a resurrection at, at the end, that there is a general resurrection. And I think this is what's most important, especially there's a great book out there, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. And what N.T. Wright tries to do is argue that the Christian idea that your soul goes to heaven or hell after you die and stays there is basically Platonism. It's following more the philosophy of Plato than the religion uh, started by Jesus. And in Christianity, our central focus needs to be the resurrection. Uh, you are not a complete person without your body. You are also not a complete person without your soul. You are complete when your soul and your body are together. And so dying and going to heaven is not the ultimate reward. The ultimate reward is for heaven to come to earth, uh, for creation to be redeemed, and for our bodies to be raised during the resurrection. And then Christ will rule over a new earth um, from Jerusalem, from the new city of Jerusalem. And the re- that's the most important aspect is that the resurrection is what really matters. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, 
just looking through of where we can guide this conversation next. I, just, I think the most important aspect is simply look to God. And that's what I'm going to tell all of our listeners, no matter what, even um, before death, it doesn't have to be just when you're dying, but all the time, just look to God. You know, realize that God's holding you in God's hands. Mm-hmm. And God made promises of your baptism to watch over you and that you are part of God's family and that God is full of infinite mercy and grace is going to extend God's love to you no matter what. And that you just need to rely on God and let God take it from here. Um, the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous has the best saying and it's let go, um, let God be God, you know, let go, let God, um, let God be in charge of everything, surrender yourself um, to God. And I think that's, yes, surrendering ourselves to God is very helpful. And also being reminded of the work that was done on the cross, too. Um, turning back to God, but the fact that God extended God's mercy and grace through Christ on the cross. And that is comfort to me is that there's nothing I can do to achieve my own salvation. Um, There's nothing that I have to do, be consumed with sin, death, and hell, because Christ already conquered that on the cross. Yeah, so I I just think that that's a good way to end it right there, is Christ took care of it on the cross. Don't worry about it. Focus on God and let God lead you, because God is always... You are like a child. Just reach out your hand. God will grab your hand and lead you through no matter what. So just focus on God. I'm Thomas. And I'm Jaron. And we are seminarians with Seminarian Table Talk. Thank you for joining us today. See you next week.